everyone. Welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Scherer. Today's guest is Ben Woodward. Ben has faced a lot of adversity in his life. Family trauma around putting his dad in jail, corporate crisis when the company he worked for was sued by the government, and the chronic illness he now knows is bipolar disorder. All of this has taught Ben that no matter how much adversity comes your way, there's a way to overcome it. Through his own struggles, Ben has become an expert on personal transformation, helping individuals and organizations navigate through the complex and uncomfortable journey of positive change. In his new book, The Empowerment Paradox, Ben highlights the vital virtues he's found to provide clarity and understanding for dealing with the complexities of life. In this episode, I'm really excited for you guys to hear a little bit more about Ben's story as well as his philosophy of the empowerment paradox and some of those vital virtues that he discusses in his book. There are many reasons why I really, really love this episode, but I think perhaps one of my favorites is because Ben so openly and vulnerably and candidly shares about his experience with mental health and living as a man with a bipolar disorder diagnosis. And you guys know that I am definitely well-versed and immersed in the, the mental health space and having conversations about mental health. And something that has been coming up more and more is that there isn't there aren't as many men in the arena having this conversation. It has definitely been more acceptable and, and less stigmatized to be a woman talking about mental health versus a man. And, and that is something that we get into in this episode as well. So whether you are a man who could you know, use a little bit of a, a, a role model um, and somebody to potentially relate to, or a woman who wants to learn how to have conversations about the mental health with the men in your life, or you're just any person at all who relates to going through struggles and adversity and wanting to overcome them and, and learn and grow for them from them, this is going to be a great episode for you. So without further ado, let's dive in and hear from Ben. All right. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to, have, have, uh, glad to be on. Glad to be on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you after reading your book and learning more about you. I think that there is so much value in your story and, and you have a lot of really, really brilliant and interesting things to share. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I would love if you could give our uh, listeners just a little bit more um, backstory on, on kind of who you are and how you came to write a book about empowerment in the first place. Sure. So my background is quite varied, perhaps. Um, my, my business profession, I've been in, uh, in my own business for the last uh, four years. I've worked uh, corporately in many roles from you know, regional director, managing director, global president of a health and wellness company. Uh, it oversaw 35 markets around the world. So it kept me certainly very busy uh, during that time. I was on the board of directors for trade associations and CEO councils for trade associations as well. So that, that certainly gave me an opportunity, especially because I've always operated within the health and wellness um, space. Um, it gave me the opportunity to work with a lot of people uh, around the world from different cultures and what have you. In, in addition to that, perhaps what led me to writing the book was um, my own personal journey. I'm, I think first and foremost, the thing I'm most proud of amongst all my accomplishments is my wife and I have been married now for just over 20 years. Um, 
she's currently pregnant, expecting our eighth child. Um, and so that, that to me is our greatest accomplishment, having that home environment with uh, certainly so many children keeps us busy and chaotic. <laughs> but, uh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Raising, raising eight kids is a massive accomplishment in itself. <laughs> it really so is. hats off to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And it's, it's more hats off to my wife. I think she's the one yeah. that manages it the best. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, it was my own journey that, that led to writing the book in regards to dealing with certain levels of adversity um, that I'd had to confront that were chronic in nature. Um, I, I got a diagnosis later in life with bipolar disorder, um, uh, which when at the time that it came was a moment of great relief, which sounds unusual to say that, boy, you know, you're glad to hear you've got <laughs> bipolar disorder, but, uh, but it gave context and perspective to some of the struggles that I'd gone through that were uh, undefined um, uh, and just complicated. Um, they, they hadn't, I'm grateful that, you know, I, I kind of highlight this in my book that, um, that the disorder had become somewhat of a superpower to me in the sense that it was enabling in many instances, especially as I've learned to understand it and respond to it. Um, it's been quite enabling. It certainly hasn't held my career back. Um, it hasn't um, held my family life back. Um, but, but it certainly added flavor and depth to my life experience, which at the heart of the book Yes, I share some business insights and some life experience insights, but the underlying tone um, was uh, in, in dealing with how do we respond to adversity when it comes typically unexpected, when it stays around longer than we want, um, when it impacts us in a way that is chronic or enduring, um, and we don't know how to respond. What, what do we do with that? First of all, what role does it play in our life? Why does it exist? Um, what is its function and purpose? Um, and, and critically, rather than just learning to be resilient, this has been, for me, the great challenge that I've observed in 2020. So many people are anxious to see the year end, to close mm -hmm. the chapter, to close the book and say, okay, it's done, close that door and say it's finished. Um, but but the, the objective there in that mindset is uh, simply to see a, a, a struggle through and to, and to finish it and to say, I survived. Uh, to some degree, we are all survivalists as human beings, but we're so much more than that. Our, our purpose and reason for being, and it's in our nature, isn't simply to survive, it's to prosper. So at the heart of the book, it really is saying, how do I take the struggles that I am confronted with, the things that hold me back or pin me down, and rather than be defined by them or simply survive them, how do I get transformed by it? And how do I come out the other side and prosper as a consequence of it? And, um, and that's why it's called the empowerment paradox. It's a paradox because most people feel pinned down by it, but actually it can be one of the enabling facilitators of our growth um, that can transform us into the best version of ourselves. So, and, and like I said, I, I kind of use my own struggles with some of my mental health challenges um, that have been great educators for me there um, in, in sharing some of the lessons. And um, it's, it's certainly proved to resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can see why. I mean, it, it really resonated with me and, and there's so much I'm excited to dig into there. Empowerment is something that I talk about on a daily basis in my own business. Yeah. My, the name of my business is Empowered Bodies and it's always been a very holistic approach to wellness, taking into consideration mental health and yeah. physical health yeah. as well. And 
I feel like your your book really um, kind of articulated and encapsulated how I have felt about empowerment all these years, but in just such mm -hmm. a, a beautiful way. Like you've really distilled it down into the fact that it, empowerment isn't always just about you know living living in our joy and living in our success. It's really embracing the contrast of it all and yeah. the struggle that can lead to a greater depth of joy. Um, yeah, and I think that's such a beautiful message that you're sharing. Yeah, thank you. I, it's, it's one of my pet peeves, actually, is there are a lot of self-proclaimed gurus out there that declare what you just said, that you can live abundantly and perpetually in your joy. Yeah, that you can find this glorious state of um, constant equilibrium, you know, that you can pursue, that you can have it all, be it all, um, and constantly be in a, st a state of thriving. That's that's frustratingly just not reality, is it? Um, right. And and it's to me that's a little bit like selling hope to the hopeless. Mm -hmm. you know, when people are despairing and discouraged and they don't know where to look, that message resonates wonderfully, and they go, "Yes, that's what I want." What they're wanting is relief, but if you're only giving them temporary relief without real structure and strategy to get through it and to get stronger, then you, what you're giving them isn't real substance. It's it's just fodder. And, um, and so I wanted to address that because my objective, like yours, is to give people a real space where they can thrive. Um, but that has to involve embracing and accepting some of the brutal facts of our present realities, which is there is a duality, a coexistence of joy and suffering. And one doesn't have to rob the other. That's the critical point. It doesn't, you know, the suffering or adversity that we experience doesn't have to rob our joy and it can in fact feed it. Um, but we need to understand that it has to exist um, in order for us to grow and to become the best version of ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, especially in, in today's age with the advent of social media, there's just this constant sense of social comparison happening. And I see this with a lot of the young women that I work with in my businesses, that if they're going through a struggle or suffering in any way, that they feel like there's something deeply wrong with them or something broken about them. And they see all these other people who are living seeming, seemingly perfect and joyful and beautiful, abundant lives online. And they think, well, what's wrong with me that I can't have that all the time too? Yeah. And so to spread the message like you are that, no, actually, the struggle is part of the joy and it's what leads to greater joy and it's part of the human experience. And, and that's actually where a lot of the good stuff comes from. That's where you yeah. grow and that's where you learn and expand. I think it's, it's just more people yeah. need, to, need to hear that for sure. Yeah, they do. And, and this point on social media is a critical one. And you know, I, I haven't researched sufficiently the direct correlation though I know there is research out there, but, but Gallup's emotion code, uh, emotion report, sorry, that they did in 2019 um, to, to test and to research um, the emotional state of countries around the world uh, gave a very startling snapshot on how we're doing in the States. Uh, and it showed that 55% of Americans recalled feeling stressed much of the day, not part of the day, much of the day. Uh, nearly half felt worried and more than a fifth felt angry, which is really startling. Now, the scary thing is, there's, there's two scary things that come out of this. One is that was up on the year before, which means 
the trend in regards to how people are doing with their mental wellness um, in the United States is getting worse, not better. Um, those statistics are, are not going in our favor. The other thing is, which is startling, that we actually did worse than the nation of Chad, which is the most pain-stricken population on the planet. Wow. Yeah, so, so the question is why? Mm. You know, when, when, when we live in a country that is so abundant in its resources and its opportunities, why is it that we are faring, faring worse than the nation of Chad when it comes to our state of mind and our state of, um, of feeling stressed or anxious or worried? That, that's really startling. And I do think that social media plays a part um, in regards to the sense of comparing um, and especially with the sense of um, immediacy, immediate gratification that people are pursuing now um, that, that doesn't really incline us to live in the way that our bodies are designed to live. The world is changing and responding quickly with technology and it's making life convenient, but it's not necessarily aiding our mental wellness. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm not as well versed in the research that's been done on adults, but I actually run a nonprofit organization that um, provides curriculum and resources to teach teenagers how social mm. media impacts their mental health and self-esteem. Yeah. And when you look at the studies that are done on teenagers, it, it really is just startling and horrifying in many yeah. ways um, because this is, you know, these last couple waves of, of kids and, and adolescents are the first ones to really grow up with 24 seven mm. access being all they know. And yeah. just the constant social comparison is, is definitely scary and, and um, yeah. something that we'll have to stay on top of to make sure that they have the tools to mitigate those negative effects. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for the way that some of my children have responded with social media. My oldest uh, who is now 19, when he was in high school, mm. um, every now and then he'd come to us and he'd give us his phone and say, uh, I'm, I'm spending too much time on social media. I want you to take Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah, which was really great. We were so proud of him when he'd do that. But what was interesting was, because I'd never experienced this, yeah, because I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a digital immigrant. Yeah, he's a native. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he, he would come back after a couple of weeks and, and collect his phone and say, oh, I need it back now. I said because I'm, I'm getting out of the loop of the conversation. Yep. When, when I was at school, conversation would happen in the playground and sometimes after school if you hung out with your mates. But, but with social media being ever-present, like you said, it was 24-7. So when he, he logged off for a couple of weeks, uh, he could still access, he could still hang out with his friends, he could still go out and do all the things that they normally did. He'd still see them in the intervals and breaks at school but he was totally out of the loop in all the conversation and as a consequence was feeling it socially. So there was just a huge amount of pressure there to stay constantly connected so that you don't miss out. This, this intense fear of loss was really interesting to observe. Yeah, absolutely. And um, constant connection to anything I think can be mm. exhausting and draining. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, definitely something we all get to be more mindful of. Yeah. Um, Something you said in the beginning of your book really resonated with me that goes kind of ties back to what we were talking about with uh, this, this kind of paradox and the contrast between joy and struggle. 
um, and maybe it was just the visual of this really resonated for me, but you said uh, Olympians triumphant joy is in direct proportion to their magnificent sacrifices and really, mm. you know, taking a look at the blood, sweat and tears and that goes into the training and, and the years and years that lead up to that one moment for them of, you know, the Olympic competition and maybe being on the podium. Yeah. Do you think, in your opinion, do you think that joy always has to, or deeper joy is always a result of sacrifice that has to be on the other end to kind of balance out the scales? Uh, no. Uh, sacrifice is a significant contributor, but I think there are two things um, that lead to joy in life, primarily two things. One is some type of suffering or adversity, um, but, but the other is service. Um, mm. And I think if we can engage ourselves in a good cause, if we devote our lives to something greater than ourselves, then in the act of serving others, then joy can come in in that way. So suffering plays its part um, in, pr in providing joy. And I think the deeper the well of our suffering, the more joy we can contain. I, I, that, that's happened over and over again. Um, but at the same time, I think that also applies to service. So the more we give ourselves to others, the more we'll find that joy coming back into our lives as well. Yeah, that is a really important reminder. <laughs> I yeah. think sometimes, especially when you're struggling or suffering, I think the tendency for a lot of people is to go even deeper within and get stuck mm. kind of in your own circumstances. But the second you, you look outside of yourself and, and try to be of service to somebody else, it really shifts your experience so so profoundly. Yeah, it does. It's, yeah, my wife made an interesting observation. She said, this wasn't a criticism, it's just an observation. She said, but, you know, she said, when you're struggling with your mental health, you know, when I get into a very deep depressed state with bipolar, for example, mm -hmm. she said, you will inherently become quite selfish, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not a criticism, she said, just an observation, because you're getting preoccupied with your pain. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you do. You, you instinctively go inwards. You dwell on it. You ruminate over it. You, you just struggle with it. You obsess over it. You're wanting it to be gone. You don't want it to be there. But because it's so overwhelming and it's so big, uh, it gets in the way of everything else. And, it, yeah. and that includes your focus on others. So it, it does require, you know, you know the, the, the two are linked, that, that suffering and service. If you want to get out of the state of suffering that you're in, if there's anyone listening that is struggling um, emotionally or with some you know, anxiety or depression or stress, um, then you know, one of the antidotes to that is to reach out to someone else and do some type of good for them. And um, th that sometimes can be the last thing you feel like doing because you go, oh, I don't have the energy, I don't have the strength. Um, but I assure you that that energy will come. You know, when, when you get out there and do it, yeah. um, you know, and sometimes it comes in the very thought, but if you're really entrenched in that dark place, um, you might need to do that a couple of times, <laughs> a few times before. <laughs> yeah, it definitely takes there. practice. But, yeah, but, but, but that practice will pay dividends. Yeah, absolutely. And like yeah. you said, it, it can be one of the hardest things to do in the moment, but with, with the biggest payoff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that's really interesting in what you're talking about and that you, you share quite a bit about in your book is how, you know, it's in, it is in our nature to kind of resist pain or resist suffering, even mm. though we might know 
on some level that we need it in order to grow yeah. and in order to get to the levels that we want to get to and in order to grow our container for joy and mm. abundance and all those things. So for you personally, and maybe if you're, if you're giving advice on the subject as well, how can one better prepare themselves for pain and uh, I guess get more comfortable with the idea that it, it's okay, it's a natural part of life and it's actually going to lead to really beautiful things. Yeah. Well, I, I think the starting point is right where you, what you, with what you just said is we need to be willing to accept that pain is a part of life. This is something that I'm constantly teaching my children because I don't want them just to be equipped with knowledge, mm -hmm. you know, like academic knowledge you know, for when they grow up. I need them to have strong coping skills, our ability to deal with stress and anxiety and worry and all those types of things. And the starting point there is understanding its role to play. If we understand, look, you know, I constantly tell my children life isn't fair. I wish it was, but it is not. Yeah. And, and let's start from that, that understanding first. Um, so that when struggles come, we don't have to own it uh, you know, in the sense of this is inherently because of something I have done wrong. It might not be the case. Sometimes yeah, we drop the ball, we make mistakes and adversity happens because of our own wrongdoing. That, that happens on a regular basis, we're human. But also things happen in spite of us or irrespective of us, yeah? Um, like the pandemic that we're experiencing right now. Um, and the, the, the world is so intertwined, everything is so interrelated now, it makes the world a wonderfully fragile place. So, so there's all sorts of things that will happen whether we feel like we're in control of life or not. Um, so, so we've got to get that balance right first, understand that, but that, that's what really leads us then into the seven virtues that I talk about. Um, and the, the first one being a disciplined heart. Um, you know, I, I always say you've got to want the consequences of what you want. Um, and, and so starting out, we need to understand that what we want, what we consistently want or desire over time is what we will eventually become. Um, but we need to consistently desire it over time in order for that to happen. You know, throughout the development of all of these virtues is the necessity of time. Um, and I, I was incredibly impatient as a kid growing up. That's perhaps why one of, you know, the, one of the virtues is patience. Um, but, you know, as the old proverb says, and patience possess ye your souls. Um, and the antithesis of that is also true, isn't it? In impatience, we lose them. How many times have people through impatience, because they couldn't endure the moment, because they couldn't handle what was happening in the present point in time, uh, made a wrong choice, made a rash decision, uh, went for the easy way out, uh, gave up, quit, gave in too soon. You know, any of those things, it's like, ah, if they just had a little bit more patience, if they'd hung in there how things could have turned out so differently. Um, so, so yeah, the starting point yeah. is understanding the, the relevance of adversity um, and being okay with it when it arrives. And then, you know, confronting you know, our desires. What are we going to get out of this? How are we going to move forward? And then developing those virtues that I talked about. Yeah. So you really, you set that up perfectly. I was wanting to ask your book is called the empowerment paradox. And you talk about the seven vital virtues to turn struggle into strength. So could you uh, run us through what, what those virtues are and kind of what each of them represents for you? 
Sure, sure. So, so going through them, you know, they, they are intertwined, um, but there is some degree of chronology, I think, that goes with them too. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, the, the first is a disciplined heart, uh, an educated mind, nourished faith, well-practiced patience, uh, a liberated past, diligent work, and willful surrender. Um, so, yeah, each, each of them, some of them might sound unusual virtues to be developing to confront um, adversity or challenge or for personal transformation. But I, I want to just highlight a couple of them. I'm not sure if we'll have a chance to go through all of them. Sure. But, 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 yeah, um, I mean, people can read the book if they want to. Yeah, people can read the book if they want to, yeah. Um, but if I jump to the last one, willful surrender, for example, what, what does that mean? Surrender sounds like I'm suggesting we give up or we give in. You know, I, the first thing that comes to mind, often you know, the connotations of that word you know, are you know, if I'm in a battle and I give, in and, uh, give up and let my enemy win. But this, this isn't what we're talking about. What I'm talking about here with willful surrender is willingly surrendering the false beliefs that I hold about myself, my circumstances, and the future. In, in order to be fully transformed, if I want to go through this personal transformation journey, if I want adversity to shape me for the better, if I want to come out the other side a stronger person and be truly empowered, um, because that, that, key, that word is so key, then I need to be willing to acknowledge and let go of the incorrect beliefs that I hold about myself, my past, my future. Um, and my circumstances. And, and that is by perhaps to me, one of the most courageous, bravest, and most challenging virtues to confront. Um, surrender, like I said, at first blush, you think, oh, that sounds just like giving in, giving up. Right. Um, but it's, it's actually such a bold and scary and confrontational requirement um, because it, it demands so much of us. Most of us don't necessarily even know, we've not taken the time to reflect internally enough to know what beliefs I hold that are incorrect in the first place. That, that, that to me was a big wake-up call when I started doing that. Um, when I started recognizing, wait a second, there are actually some common threads of belief or behavior that, um, that people embrace that are incorrect. It's hard to acknowledge that, isn't it? That I've got a belief, but it's wrong. Well, that's that in itself is a, is a paradox because I believe if I believe it, if it's my belief, I think it's true. Right. Yeah. So, so how can I, how can I then acknowledge that it's wrong? That's really hard. It's, and that's because it's a subconscious belief. It's not something that we verbally or, or outwardly say to ourselves. It's something that subconsciously um, beneath the surface, I enact in my life on a daily basis. For example, I might catastrophize. I might have this, this tendency of perfectionism, which for me, I, I struggle with a lot, perfectionism. And at first, I th yeah, I, I thought, well, that's, that's a good thing. That's a virtue. Yeah, because it, it mas masqueraded as competitiveness or, or being you know, um, driven or ambitious. And I thought, well, that's a good thing because I am ambitious and I am competitive and, and I do want to achieve a lot. But but perfectionism, any virtue taken to extreme can become a vice. So if, if I've got perfectionism, well, that means that anything less than 100% is a failure. It's not good enough. Now, all of a sudden, I've got a, a, a belief that it's not healthy. Uh, maybe I'm seg I've got this terrible belief where I am constantly giving myself negative labels. 
um, catastrophizing all or nothing thinking. Um, if, you know, if anything is going to happen um, in the catastrophic mind, if anything bad's going to happen, it's going to be the worst case scenario uh, and it's going to be all my fault. You know, if I've got these types of beliefs that are feeding me um, and, and my behavior, it's not going to bode well for me. Uh, especially if adversity is, is presenting itself in my life, my ability to cope with it, respond to it, and to be transformed by it is going to get really compromised. And, and my endurance levels there are going to be really tough. Uh, they're going to be compromised as well. So, so this is where some real inward reflection becomes helpful to say, where do I go wrong? Because what we do is the fruit of what we think feel and believe. Yeah. So if I can get to the genesis of my beliefs and understand them and my thoughts, then that's going to impact my, my behavior. And, and that's, that's really where having that willful surrender becomes so important, you know, because then if yeah. I can understand, oh, I've got these negative beliefs here, I need to replace them with healthy ones, with positive ones, with correct ones. Now I'm going to see that that's going to be reflected in my behavior and something's going to change in a real positive way. Mm. And, um, and, and so, so to me, that one, that one is, is really important. Patience again is really important. What, what I love, which I express in the book is you know, what, what I, what I try to do as I, as I, as I teach these virtues is not just simply define them because I think most people reading the book will understand what patience is. Yeah. Or, Sure. Or what you know, what a disciplined heart may look like, even at a basic level, if they've not been, you know, really devoted to self-development or what have you. Um, what what I wanted to address was, what happens if you're experiencing, uh, excuse that little beep there, uh, if you're experiencing adversity, and it goes on too long, and you don't think you can handle it. What if what if you're experiencing some challenges, some anxiety, um, or some depression? Uh, or any type of adversity for that matter. Um, and it's just too overwhelming for you. Uh, you know, typically people say, oh, you're kind of hang in there. You'll get through it. Right. But what if you, what if you don't have that patience to begin with? How do I develop patience if it isn't currently in my existence, in my possession? Right. That's the challenge. Yeah. So, so what I look at here is in, in these virtues, not just the fact that we need them, but what happens if I don't have, my, don't have them in my possession, how do I develop it? How do I acquire it? How do I get the right quantity of that virtue in order to be transformed by it? And so patience, if I use that one as an example, you know, there's been research that's been shown now, which I really love, that if we want to increase our patience, then if we can engage our imaginations, then that will have the capacity to improve our patience. Too many people try to white knuckle adversity. You know, if I can just get through this, yeah, and, and they use their willpower as their primary source of, of motivation to get through something difficult. But the problem with that is if I'm exclusively using willpower alone, then my tendency is to focus on my immediate proximity, which is my pain points. So when I'm dealing with something that's tough, if I'm only using my willpower, I'm going to be focused on all of the tough stuff, all of the negative, all of the hard things, and that can compromise my willpower over time. But if I'm using my imagination, my imagination is centered further afield, isn't it? It's centered in the future. If I'm projecting forwards to a, a future state where a better future resides, 
and I can engage my imagination there and then break it down into sequences and work backwards from that point to the present moment. Now I'm looking forwards with a brightness of hope, with a confidence that yes, the, the future here looks brighter than what the present is, is feeling. And that gives me confidence now with that imagination or with that vision that I've created for my future. I don't just have willpower. I have this imagination, which gives me added power and strength and research has shown that our ability to endure in those times and to, and to exercise patience is increased significantly as a consequence. And, and that to me is just really, really helpful when we're in a state of chronic adversity. Yeah, because it also breaks it down and makes it less overwhelming that now you're kind of building a foundation uh, of, of changed behavior and changed patterns and thinking rather than expecting it to happen all at once overnight, which would be just incredibly <laughs> overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I, I had a, um, a uh, person and a kind of a mentor in my life who always used to say, you know, when, when you pray for patience, you don't just become patient, you get opportunities to practice your patience. That comes yeah, into absolutely. Your life. Yeah. Yeah. So we, that, that's so true. Yeah. And I, I love what you shared too, when you were talking about your, your first virtue, you said, um, I think you said that we have to want the consequences of what we say we want. Was that what yeah. it was? Yeah. 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 That, that's true. Because yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was, uh, with my brother once a number of years back and we were visiting some friends um, and he had just come over from New Zealand and he, he was living over there and we were in the UK visiting some, some English friends and he was telling them about just how wonderful New Zealand was and just, just how beautiful it is and how he was loving life. And he'd just recently moved over there, which is why he was telling them, um, you know, what, what it was like. Mm. And, uh, and, and one of them responded in a way that really caught my attention. They said, oh, Simon, that, that just sounds amazing. You know what? I'll tell you what. And they kind of pointed the finger with this real strong, visible sense of intent. I said, you know what, Simon? When I win the lottery, I'm going to visit New Zealand. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> when you win the lottery, what on earth is that about? And, and, and that's, that's often people's strategy for the future, isn't it? It's, right. They know what they want, but they have this lottery winning mindset that I, I've got things that I hope for, but not things that I strive for. Mm. And, and, and there's got to be that difference. You, you've got to understand if you really want something, if you want to succeed, if you want to come out the other side, you've got to be willing to want the fight that goes with it. And, and, and this is what I've learned going through my own struggles and, and my own victories, getting my own victories, uh, is what is required typically is always more than what I originally thought. Yeah, yeah God, that, that might be one of those most powerful things I've heard in a while, because I think there are so many people who are just looking for that quick fix and that easy solution. And it's like, once they set their sights on something that they want, they want it now. And I've, yeah. I've been guilty of that plenty of times. I can be impatient and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to know that you're kind of strapping in for a journey when, when yeah. what you really want is the thing at the end. But I actually think that those, those things that are more hard earned and that you, you sweat and sacrifice a little more for, they feel better in the end. Anyways. Yeah. Hey, and absolutely. And, and here's, here's the critical thing as well 
is yeah, another example. My wife and I had a financial goal of paying our mortgage off within a certain time frame, a number of years back. And, um, and with great pleasure, that, that was a real big goal for us, especially as you know, running our own business, we're entrepreneurs, we're you know, mm. doing our own kind of hustle here. And uh, we paid the mortgage off by the time my wife turned 40, which wow. as, as a family of nine was a <laughs> yeah. huge accomplishment. Yeah. That's and, huge. Um, and, and so we're like, this is great. And, and it, was an over, it was an incredibly underwhelming experience because we paid the mortgage off. We got that letter through the post that you know, came in with all the zeros, nothing left to pay. We thought, this is great. Financial independence has arrived. And then it was like, now what? Right? what, what, what what's, what do we do now? And, and, and it, was, it was quite underwhelming because that had been a, a big thing that we were chasing. And, and I share this because... What I observed through that journey and the, the years that have followed is, you know, what, we often get preoccupied with the wrong goals for a start. I'm not saying that's not a good goal. It is a good goal. Um, you know, get out of debt, stay out of debt is a very important one. Um, but we've got to prioritize the things that matter most. And the thing that matters most, in my opinion, is the type of person that you are, who you are, who, who you become. Because whatever happens in life, the quality of our lives is proportionate to the quality of our emotions. And our emotional state is often, um, is, is often established by the type of character that we have, have created for ourselves, which is why adversity plays an important part. But critically, these virtues that we acquire and develop over time are so important because true abundance true happiness, true joy, true meaning is found not in the acquisition of things, but in the acquisition of a good heart. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's where peace comes. That's where that sense of purpose and identity is really found. Then, then, then it's a matter of come what may and love it. You know, whatever happens, I know I can handle it because I have a good character. I've got a strong foundation. And would you say that you've always had an inclination towards this type of thinking, or is this something that you built and strengthened over time? Uh, I think I've had an inclination throughout my life towards this, at, at least from a teenage, uh, my, my mid-teenage years is kind of when that journey began for me um, in, in inquiring after that type of a mindset. Um, but it was accelerated um, when I really started struggling with depression. Um, you know, I, I struggled with that for about seven years before I even realized that I had it. Yeah, that was, yeah. That, that was the startling thing for me. So it, it, it wasn't until my wife, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Guys don't talk about their feelings all that much. Kind of, <laughs> this is actually something I wanted to ask you about because I, I did read that in your book you shared yeah. that how, how your kind of diagnosis came about. And I think that that is so common of the male experience when it comes to mental health. You, and yeah. I'm sure you can dive more into this, but it, it was almost like you had, um, you had expressed like when, when your wife was showing concern uh, for, for kind of how you were feeling your emotional state, you were just like, well, well, yeah, but this is, that's just the way it is. I've, yeah, I've just gotten yeah. used to it. Like, yeah. That's well, that, that's, that's, now. Yeah. That's the frightening thing though, isn't it? With, with chronic, um, chronic illness like that, that affects your mood. And, you know, when, if you're perpetually depressed, it, it does become normal. 
it, it normalizes and then you don't and it happens very subtly you know, like, like the dew settling on the morning you know you don't you don't see it fall but you do see it there and, and that's kind of what happens sometimes with with a with you know a mood shift like that that just settles and then stays and it doesn't go away but um yeah we, we yeah, she i think it was on our sixth child she experienced for the first time uh postnatal depression but she did what i, I believe a lot of women tend to do you know she observed it kind of quickly and took herself off to the doctors and talked about it and she talked about it with me right and was quite open about it and um and i've always admired that about her yeah and but as we were talking i was like um she was sharing her feelings i was like oh, i've got a book on that you know let me let me uh, hang on let me say you know and i'd go to my library and i'd pull out a book i said oh yeah if you turn to this page yeah and i i knew the books inside and out because i'd, I'd ferociously studied them you know read this yeah i didn't obviously have postnatal depression um but i was depressed right but i i I was looking in all these different subjects and categories around self-empowerment and 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 um self-improvement and um self-mastery all these types of things to try to grapple with this um and she was like how come you know so much about this yeah and uh, it sounds to me like you're feeling this way i was like oh yeah no that's kind of how i feel and she's like how long have you felt that way and i was like about seven years she's like oh my gosh ben right why haven't you said anything and 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 this is the scary you know i want to just share a point of clarification here you know my wife is wonderfully observant and we have a great marriage and it wasn't you know this this was no reflection on her in any way being a bad spouse that didn't care or hadn't observed over the last number of years um you know, there was, there was a news story that broke around this time that gave me the courage and the commitment to go to the doctors when she said I should, um, of an English football coach um, who had, out of the blue, committed suicide. He was well known. Um, I'm not a footballer uh, or a soccer lover, so I, I didn't know him by name or by face, but the story broke and I was watching the news and it grabbed my attention. He, he was at a charity event the night before and he was smiling. He was happy. He was one of the, the celebrity guests, you know, on the stage, everything looked normal. The next day he's found dead by his wife. And, and, um, the, the press were kind of waiting for a story to break, you know, like a second story. Like, Mm -hmm. why did he do this? What, what happened? Because clearly he looked fine. Maybe there was a blackmail issue going on here, a second life, a secret story. What is it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was just privately struggling with his own demons and he wasn't talking about it. And, um, and, and when I watched that, it scared the life out of me because I thought that's, I totally relate to that. I've got a great life. My wife and I are very happy. I've got great kids. My career is booming. I'm healthy and fit and well for all intents and purposes. I've got no reason to be depressed, but I am totally overwhelmingly suicidal. And I, and I had no reason for it. At, at that point, I didn't understand. Of course, I got a diagnosis later on that I had bipolar disorder and that gave context to where I was at and gave me some solutions. Um, but my goodness, do we need to talk about it? And, and that's one of the reasons, again, why I wrote the book. I was a little nervous at first putting that in because I, I hadn't openly discussed it too much. Um, but right. as I started to, my goodness, uh, you know, have I found people coming back to me going, thank you thank you thank you i relate i understand these lessons are so good 
I, it just makes sense. This is fantastic. And, you know, and it's, it's the greatest feel good factor in the world. You know, those little one-on-one -on -one notes that come back uh, like that. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious what, what it was like for you initially kind of opening up about um, mental health and your struggles with, with how you were feeling and later finding out, you know, later getting the diagnosis and getting some answers. What was it like opening up about that first with your wife and your loved ones and then ultimately to the world? Um, at, at first it, it was difficult uh, because I wasn't in that state of mind of sharing my feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a chatterbox by nature. Um, I tend to be the go-to person um, with many people in my social <laughs> circle when they have struggles, they will often come and ask for advice, which I'm grateful for. And I've always enjoyed being able to serve others in that way. Um, but to talk about my own feelings, my own problems, I would just bottle it all up and, and bury it, which was really a bad strategy. Um, but, but by the time I got the diagnosis, um, it took about five years um, from start to finish to get the diagnosis. And then after that, it took a number of months to get medication right, um, to help get um, the, the right medication, then to get the right doses um, in order for it to have the right effect and so on and so forth. That's been a, that, that was an ongoing journey uh, that took a little bit of time. But by the time I got the diagnosis, I had suffered so much that I was excited. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, and it was like, yes. Yeah, I, I sat down with a psychiatrist and he says, well, Ben, yeah, you know, we've had these discussions. We've had these kind of explorations together. And yes, you know, conclusion is it is what we think it is. You've got bipolar type two. And I was like, ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Right now I can move forward. And, um, and, and like I said, it sounds weird to say, and, um, and, you know, quickly fast forward to now, I, I still need to take medication on a daily basis. Um, and I absolutely love it. I'm grateful to take that. Yeah, um, no, I actually really, really relate to that. I, um, qu quite a while back had a pretty bad concussion from a car accident and then went on to struggle with my mental health and pretty severe depression and anxiety and panic attacks mm. for quite some time, close to two years before receiving a diagnosis of, of yeah. um, what was going on. And they kind of tied it back to post-concussive syndrome. And I was so relieved at that point to just know like, oh my gosh, okay. Like I didn't make this up and like yeah. there's, yeah. there's answers now and that clarity really helped. Yeah, it, it, it does. And it, it's, it's just a relief. And at first there was, um, so, so inwardly between, you know, me, my wife and the medical experts, mm -hmm. uh, I was very grateful, um, for the diagnosis, um, that, that helped a lot. Uh, I didn't talk about it for a long time with, uh, my children or my family. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually, you know, in a, in a depressed state, I actually sent out an email to, all of my siblings, letting them know that I had that diagnosis, mm -hmm. but it was, it was a mercy shot um, for my wife. That was the intent behind it because I didn't anticipate being alive at the end of the year because I was in such a bad state. And I, I didn't want my, my family to be asking her questions about what happened and why I wanted them just to know. So that, that, that was how I ended up introducing it to my family, which, um, they didn't understand the motive behind it at that point, of course, but that was, that was the underlying motive. Um, I've, I've opened up a little bit over time, but, but where it really happened, my, my children understand it now, my older ones at least, and, and they're grateful um, 
for the understanding and you know they're good spot checkers when they see me going in one or the other direction so they're mm. they're a good support system in that sense yeah um, it's nice to have that accountability it is yeah it helps because i don't this that's the ironic thing i, I know i've got this condition i don't always see it when it right. starts to manifest um and so you know my wife will start you know kind of pointing out oh, i can see you're going up a little bit here you know you're going into a hypermanic state i think you know Mm. And, um, and, sh and she'll help kind of pull me back in, um, which is helpful, um, or vice versa. Um, but, but as I've opened up to the world on it, that's, that's, that was the big one that to me was initially scary, yeah. but yeah. then so empowering because, yeah, I've always held quite, um, well, for a long time, for the last, at least the last decade, um, high profile positions in my career. Like I said, president of a company, I would, uh, you know, keynote speaker, I'm in, on stages, sometimes with people in the audiences in the thousands. Um, and I've been, like I said, a go-to person for training, coaching, mentoring, and then to, you know, to put myself out there and say, amongst all of that, I also have bipolar disorder, um, was quite vulnerable for me to do for fear of how people would respond. Um, but I've had nothing but really positive feedback. And what's been interesting is how many people have come up to me afterwards, reached out, connected, people that I've known, and then confided in me and said, you may not know this about me, but, or about my family, but X has happened, or we've really struggled with this. And, and they, they'll share really intimate challenges that they've gone through in their lives um, and how the book has helped them cope with that. And, but my vulnerability has caused some reciprocation. And as a consequence, these bonds have been tighter and, um, and people have gone, you know what, you doing that, you know, coming from where you are and what you've been doing in your life and that, that gives me strength to stand up and, and do this for myself. And if you can confront this publicly, then I can confront this privately. And, um, and I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and that's been really rewarding to see so many people come out yeah. and say, I've got my own issues um, and I'm going to confront it privately. Um, because you're, you're, you've, you've confronted it so publicly here. Um, that's been great. And, and I think that's, you know, I, I was thrilled. Entrepreneur Magazine, you know, rated the book, you know, one of the top self-empowerment books of 2020. Wow, and, um, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I was really chuffed when that happened. And, I, yeah. and I, think, I think in part it's because, you know, that vulnerability there has just yeah. encouraged so many people to go, you know, we all have something, don't we? We all have something that, that bites us, that causes us pain, that hurts us a little bit, that we have to fight against. Um, and it gives us courage to confront it and do something about it. Absolutely. It's, and it's so needed and so powerful. And, and I'm, I'm really heartened to see you, you know, sharing your story and using your experience to make an impact for other people, especially because of what we were talking about earlier, that it's, it's not as talked about for men. And there is definitely a need for more conversation so that hopefully men listening to this feel encouraged that, you know, maybe they can get support and seek some answers for what they might be struggling with. And yeah. women listening can, can help to create space and hold space for the men in their lives to have conversations about mental health because it definitely is, yeah, is needed I, I would, all around. A hundred percent. I would you know, encourage the men to talk. Uh, the stigma is not as real as you think. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that's perceived um, more than more than real. Um, but the reality of what men and women are going through is huge. 
you know, and, and we need to accept that it's a part of our lives. This is the real deal. You know, if again, going back to those statistics from Gallup's emotion survey, you know, over 55% of the country were stressed most of the day. Most people are in a state of stress, worry, um, and anxiety. It's, it's frightening. It's discouraging for many. Um, but it shows that you're not alone. You know, one of the great problems that we have with mental health is when I am feeling low, when my mood is affected, we do tend to self-isolate um, and we tend to keep it to ourselves. And that tends to make us think it's only me that's dealing with this uh, or I'm alone in this struggle. Um, and, and the more we're left alone in our own mind to figure it out, the wronger we will get. Yeah, our, our thoughts get distorted on the subject. Um, it is always helpful and it always accelerates recovery and healing when we involve someone else that's got our best interests at heart. And, um, and so, yeah, to, to the guys listening, you know, take that big, bold step, talk about it. Um, you'll be glad that you did. And to the women that are supporting the guys, um, be patient with that process. Um, but, um, and, and to the women that are struggling as well, of course, right. um, open up, share, talk, you know, if I can just touch on, you know, the, the, I don't want to give away the conclusion in the book, but, you know, I talk about the seven virtues as a way of improving our self-empowerment, you know, and, and that transformation process. But at the heart of it, the, the accelerant of all of that, you know, yes, we've got all these different virtues that in isolation can help us to be better, stronger, um, more empowered. And together, of course, they can help to transform us. But the accelerant that we pour on that, that can really help us to grow and to be stronger than ever before is when we understand the power of communities. Mm. Yeah? When we can understand that, that we are stronger together versus as independent entities, then we start to really see the opportunity to, to, to be strong and to transform. And that's where the suffering and the, the service come together in one. You know, when you are down, when you are discouraged and you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders and you're, you're feeling compressed there, then when others get involved in your life and help lift the burden, you, know, you, you can exhale, you can breathe again. Yeah. And you're lifted as a result of that. But there's that kind of metaphorical breathing experience of compression and relief where, you know, life kind of presses down on us, but others, when we are weaker, help us to get stronger because their strength comes in and is added to our strength to lift us up. And then vice versa, we reach out to others and do the same. And that's, that not only strengthens them, but in the process of strengthening others, we get stronger ourselves. Yeah, so it's this wonderful reciprocal journey of strengthening each other um, and sharing the strength of each other so that collectively, like a fire, like logs on a, on, a, on a fire, the flame just grows brighter and brighter and brighter. You take one stick out of that, that fire on, you know, in the fireplace and cast it to the side and that flame goes out pretty quick. Mm. Yeah, but if, if we're all in that fire together, we can burn pretty bright. And, and that to me is the great accelerant that is, is the greatest paradox in the book is that, you know, if we want to be self-empowered um, that actually happens at its, at its greatest peak when we ironically or paradoxically uh, are united together in, this, in that, in that <laughs> shared cause. 
it's, I mean, that's so beautiful and I, I couldn't agree more. And I am really excited for everybody to get to dive in and, and discover the rest of the virtues and all the, all the wonderful things you share in your book. It, it is laid out really well and, and was very empowering for, for me to read. So I appreciate Thank that. Thank so you. for everybody listening, where, where can they find your book? Where can they find you and follow your journey and see more of what you're up to? Cool. Well, you know, to find the book, it's in you know, Amazon is the easiest place, of course, um, but it's in Barnes and Noble in, in most places where you can buy a book. It's there. You've got the audio version, uh, the Kindle version, the paperback, the hardback, whichever kind you like it. It's in all formats, um, but you can just yeah, search out the Empowerment Paradox and Ben Woodward. You'll find it very quickly um, online uh, at Amazon. Uh, if you want to catch up with me, get in touch with me. My website is Ben dash woodward.com um, and you'll have all the handles there for my social media and you can connect and follow me there and you've got email there where if you want to reach out ask a question uh, dig in a little deeper um, I always enjoy uh, the feedback and the chance to engage amazing thank you so much we'll be sure to link those in the show notes below so for everybody who's listening you can go get a copy of Ben's book and check out a little bit more about his story um, so the last thing that I love to ask everybody who comes on the show before you leave is what is one daily wellness practice that you have that you swear by that maybe uh, supports you in, in bettering your mental health? I am a big fan of transcendental meditation. Mm. So um, taking 20 minutes out a couple of times a day just to allow my mind to clear, to be still, um, to find a peaceful moment um, that, that certainly fuels creativity. It fuels calm. It manages stress. It gets the balance right. Um, and just taking that moment and just saying that is critical me time, um, is very, very, it's always rewarding. I love it every time. So a little bit of time each day to meditate and just to practice that stillness, clear the mind is great. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story and, and all of the really valuable lessons that you've gained along the way, passing those along to others is, is so powerful. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be on. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. And to everybody who's listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you know anybody who might benefit from hearing it, I encourage you as always to share it with them, pass it along. And as always, until next time, have a happy and healthy day. Thank <laughs> you.